Hello everybody, this is Tucker Johnson, and we are just getting a few last minute things set up here um, because we, we were trying to go live over on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn's kind of being a little bit challenging about it. So if you're tuning in from Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, all of that stuff, then stay tuned and we will be right with you. Already, already, already. I think we're I think we're good to get going here. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Nimsy Live. We got off to a little bit of a little bit of a rocky start today because LinkedIn has changed all of their settings, um, how they handle live streaming, how they handle events, and that is fine because actually the improvements are pretty cool that they're doing over there at LinkedIn. So we're in this for the long haul. We're learning as we go along. Um, welcome to everybody down here in chat. Um, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I'm your host today as we experience Nimsy Live. Uh, Nimsy Live is the podcast where the live podcast, of course, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all of that fun stuff that global companies need to know. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and also have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. 
I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics that you would like covered or guests that we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't done so already, make sure to like and subscribe to this wherever wherever you're coming to us from today. Um, we're live on LinkedIn, supposedly. That's what we're supposed to be live on LinkedIn. Uh, we're live on YouTube. We're live on Twitter. We're live on Facebook, Instagram, all of that stuff. So if the stream gets interrupted here on LinkedIn, if you're logged in, that's okay. Just hop on over to Nimsy Insights YouTube, and we'll probably still be going strong over there. Really quickly before we get going here, I wanted to give a quick plug because I haven't talked about it for a little while for Nimsy Learning. I was just on a call the other day with our Director of Learning, Dr. Belen Agulio Garcia Hernandez. My pronunciation's horrible. I'm sorry. And um, for those of you that don't know, we had got a lot of great e-learnings available at Nimsy.com for, for Nimsy Partners. We also do workshops, custom workshops for teams and occasional open workshops to the public. All sorts of good stuff going on, whether you're an LSP looking to level up your, your project management team or vendor management team or sales team, or whether you're on the client side and looking to um, understand more about change management or data-driven decision-making, um, whatever areas that you might want to level up your team on as well. Um, really quickly, introduction to the platform here here on LinkedIn. I mentioned that they are making some changes to LinkedIn recently, but if you're here on LinkedIn Live, then you have access to the comments, you have access to the the chat, you have access to, to the reaction buttons, all of that stuff. Um, make sure to use those during, um, during the live stream. This is how we're going to talk to you. We're going to bring up your... Um, we're going to bring up your, your chat on screen here when we get to it. And you, dear audience, are part of the stream today. So without um, – let me, let me get in and talk a little bit about our guest today. We have Jonas Ryberg um, from Pactera Edge. And I've, I've been looking forward to this session for a while now. It's been on the calendar for at least a month, I think. And um, – Excited to talk to Jonas because I've always been really impressed with what they're doing over there at Pactera, especially in regards to finding that balance between um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, technology, and language, culture, customer experience, all of these type of things. Um, there's plenty of companies out there that are talking about technology. There's plenty of companies out there that are talking about language services or culturalization or marketing. And Pactera is one of those companies that I feel has really done a great job of melding the the two the, the those two areas together. And I thought to introduce our our guest Jonas here, I, I thought I'd play a quick video from Multilingual Media's uh, YouTube channel, Multilingual TV, where they host uh, a program called C Suite Hot Seat where we interview people from the C-suite across uh, global brands and language service providers alike. So let's let's go over here. My colleague Sarah Hickey is asking the questions. Maybe, um, you mentioned, um, I think, also innovation before, or if there's a lack of innovation, you might you know, lose a client. Um, can you tell me, um, was there something that you can recall where you felt like you were being particularly innovative? Uh, maybe either you, it can be in from your personal life as well or from your business life. Sure. I, I think a big thing for us now, and, and maybe one of those breakthroughs as well that we talked about before has been the realization of how our service lines converge and that's changed how we work as well. So within my team, we do 
globalization. So we do localization and language services, but we also do AI data services. Mm -hmm. So we've seen how those two service lines that used to be separate have begun to converge uh, over the past several years, actually, to a point where it's difficult to say that it's either language services, localization, or AI data services. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big opportunity for us, and I think a point of innovation as well in how we bring those two together. And we look at what we call AI localization today, where we localize AI and machine learning products beyond language. So obviously you can do that at the language level. You, if you use Alexa, you want to be able to speak your own language to Alexa or Google Home or Cortana, Siri, whichever voice assistant you use. Um, but then when you look at AI, it's much more than language. So in that example, you would not only want to speak your language and get a reply in your language, you also want a reply that is relevant for your country or your location. Mm -hmm. right? So those, those actual answers will differ as well. So it's not enough to just localize the language. You have to localize how Alexa, Siri, or what have you thinks in that sense, um, essentially. And and for that more more available, I'm not going to give you the whole whole thing here. You're going to have to go over to Multilingual TV or MLTV over on YouTube and check out that full episode of the C-Suite Hot Seat with with Jonas Jonas Ryberg. So, what is that? Like before we get into things here, let, let's define our terms. I, I think most of our our audience knows what localization is. Most of us know what what AI is, at least at a surface level. But when we're talking about AI localization, what does that look like, Jonas? Cognitive functions need to be um, and, trained. And I, I, I'm going to interrupt. I'm so sorry, Jonas. This is the day for technical difficulties. Damn you, LinkedIn! I'm going to. I'm actually going to start you over because I don't think people could hear you. And thank you, everybody in the comment section, for making your voices heard. So, Jonas, tell us a little bit about yourself and and Pactera and the company because. Because I had you freaking muted. I, I do apologize for that. Thank you, chat. I'm muted now. Can you guys hear me now? My, my level, I hope so. My levels say yes. Working now. Thank All you, right. Vicky. Excellent. Good to see you, Vicky. So, Sorry for that, everyone. And, and, and again, thanks for having me. Tucker. It's great my, to be here. Oh, you're welcome. for You're welcome. It's good to have you, Jonas, since we're starting yeah. over here. <laughs> I'll just keep it very short then. So I manage one of the practices at Pactara Edge. Pactara Edge is... Uh, uh, we're a digital services company. Uh, we uh, design, optimize, and build human-centric, intelligent, global digital platforms. Uh, I manage the globalization practice, and within the globalization practice, we have two main service lines. Uh, one is language services, and one is uh, AI data services. So we're really in the intersection of artificial intelligence and language services, if you like. Yeah, and, and like I was talking about, like there's a lot of companies out there that do language services. There's fewer companies, but there are companies out there that do AI. Um, but you do both of them. And I think that was my original question is what is AI localization or what is localization AI? Um, what are we talking about? Like what's actually being localized here? Right. And I think the first sort of assumption that people have is that it's using AI in localization, at NMT, or using AI to optimize the localization process or something. But that's not what we are referring to when we say AI localization. It's more about localizing AI products or AI tools or services and so on to work in 
other markets than the origin market. So basically, mm. target markets versus source, the, the source market, if you speak uh, localization. Uh, and I think it's easy to understand why localization needs to be localized. Uh, we, we use AI today to support us in different manners uh, as, as people, uh, and in, in some sense help to address the challenges that humans have. And uh, <clears throat> anyone who's traveled internationally will know that engaging with people in a culture different than yours often leads to misunderstandings based on the cultural context, your heritage, or the background. Uh, and that's beyond language. Um, uh, the frame of reference that we carry, the, uh, the meaning of gestures and so on are, are different. And I hope you guys can hear me now because I suddenly lost Tucker. Oh, so okay. oh, we're still here. We're still here. We can hear right. you. Uh, I was Good. just trying to boost that. That's the greatest way to boost, boost engagement is you just turn off the sound and wait for everybody to comment. And your, your post engagement goes through you're, the roof. You're a pro. We're going to have 300% engagement on yeah, this. You're on top of this. Perfect pro <laughs> engaging people. Um, yeah. So I was saying that basically we use AI to help us um, engage with people in different manners, right? We use cognitive functions basically that we as people have. We use AI to support those with computer vision, voice recognition, and so on. And since that those different ways of of, uh, of engaging with people uh, change based on the culture, we also have to change how the AI functions uh, and, and how the AI works. So it's a matter of training, right? Training the the algorithms using localized data. Correct. That's that's the the foundation of it. The core of it is basically collecting and curating data sets that. Uh, correspond to the, the differences in these different markets. And let's, I want to go over to, um, well, really, really quickly, this is a quote and let's see if it's going to come up here. No, this one right here. Um, yeah, it's not going to pull up my entire quote here, but this is, uh, we'll go to the, the white paper here. Um, and the white paper, for those of you who haven't seen it, I dropped it in the in the event chat. I feel feel free to download it. This is the PDF version that you guys, guys all have available to you. We also have it at nimsy.com. So if you just go to nimsy.com, go to research, all research. As of today, it's the most recent research, so it's going to be right at the top. And you can read through it and look at all of the data in there. But one of the quotes from this that I wanted to read is, this um, in defining AI localization, and it simply says, this is, this is AI localization, an ensemble of services centered around collecting and curating data in order to produce clean and thoughtfully balanced AI training data sets that will reflect how locals think and interact with the world around them. And this, this spoke to me because just last week I was um, interviewing Dr. Joan Palmeter Bajorek, who is the founder of Women in Voice, and they do a lot of um, they, they talk a lot about voice and voice um, voice recognition, conversational AI stuff like that. And one of the biggest concerns that we talked about on that podcast was this um, lack of inclusion or diversity, for, for lack of a better term. Um, how how is this like what you're talking about localizing AI? How is that improving um, inclusion? for people um, that may not have access to it. And I, I mean, to me, the, the answer might be is clear, but I wanted to ask you anyways. 
Yeah, I think there is a perception, and we touched on this in the, in the white paper as well, that AI is created by a small group of data scientists in a, in a couple of locations globally and in, a, in maybe a couple of markets, and that it's, uh, it's built for those small groups of people. But it, we, we really need to make sure that AI is accessible to large groups of people as many as possible through AI localization and creating training for the AI that addresses bias and addresses uh, user personas that are not necessarily your typical generic normal user, so to speak. Mm. So we do that by at the highest level, it's basically opening it up to different languages when you talk about anything that is language related, but it goes way beyond that. It, it can be computer vision, different types of writing characters, or you need to adapt search and, and so on for, for uh, other markets as well. Uh, a big part of, uh, of localizing or adapting AI is, is accessibility and uh, avoiding bias in, in AI as well by curating and um, building data sets that cover all the different types of users. And so that, that takes us right into it. Let's go through, because in the, in the paper we list uh, a, couple different, a couple different brands that, that we wanted to look at here. And I just want, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because people can read the white paper and, and do their own reading and research into that. But um, Facebook, what is Facebook doing in, in regards to AI in this white paper here? They certainly do a lot. Uh, the, the example that we have in the in the uh, white paper is around uh, computer vision and translation of text uh, on the fly uh, using using the Facebook app, essentially, where you can point your phone to, uh, in this case, a picture of vegetables, right? And then there are right. signs with the uh, vegetable names and then the price, and the app will provide a translation of. Uh, of these uh, vegetable types or names. Yeah. So this is just one application. And I think this is an application that's like the easiest for us language folks to wrap our head around, which is the neural machine translation. And what's cool about this, if, if you guys can see this picture from the, the, the paper that we put out there, is that not only are they translating, they're automatically identifying and translating all of this text, but they're doing it in a font that looks similar to the original font, which is just taking it one step further. I think... I think that's pretty cool. Um, next on the list here, we have Google down here. Tell us a little about well, all, all of these companies. I know they're doing a lot more with AI than what's in this paper, but um, talk to us a little bit about how they're using language and AI. Yeah, I, I think the one uh, on Google is pretty similar to the Facebook one. Uh, something else that is interesting with, with Google, I think, yeah, you can see it's sort of live uh, a sign there yeah. that uh, gets translated. Uh, Google, of course, do search as well, and I think that's something else. If you don't just think about language, as an example, at Google, uh, with search-related, I, I did a little bit of testing myself, and I just picked a, um, a term that would need to be localized. The context would need to be localized, not only the word, the language as such, uh, in football, right? So if you search for football in the U.S., the first search result was NFL.com. Right. But in, in the UK, it, it was uh, Sky Sports with news on the World Cup qualifiers where Wales holding Belgium to a draw. And then I did it for Sweden and it was a Swedish Wikipedia page listing different kinds of football. Of course, a very Swedish neutral way of doing things. 
so that's beyond just language, right? The, the context and, and the type of search results that you get uh, presented with in different cultures should also be localized. And the last example we have here is uh, Spotify. So Spotify is operating in over 80, or 80 markets and in 36 languages. And this is all available in the white paper. I'm just reading from it here. AI is what underpins the company's success with its users. And it is also what is behind the company transforming music consumption habits. Um, tell us a little bit more about what people can expect in the paper here about Spotify. Yeah, I think that's a great, great one when it comes to beyond language, right? So Spotify is using AI to uh, create playlists for you. So discover weekly or your daily mix based on your listening habits. And that will also be different based on your location. Obviously, I, I would be presented with some Swedish options in there and so on, not only based on my listening habits. But that's, um, I think it's connected to generally uh, recommendation algorithms uh -huh. that we see at Netflix or any, or most, I should say, e-commerce e companies doing product recommendations. And that definitely needs to be localized as well. Uh, if you want to present um, a, a list of products that will resonate with the user in Germany, that list should be different to the products that you uh, present uh, a user in Sweden or India or the US for that matter, right? So localization of product recommendations does not really have anything to do with language, but it's still very important. Right. Well, I mean, if it's that's what's kind of interesting to talk about this with because it doesn't have quote-unquote, anything to do with language. But if you stop and think about it, everything has to do with language <laughs> to a certain extent. Like the language industry, we're an industry that touches upon all of these other, other industries and, and, and overlaps. And we could, we could keep going here because there's a, there's a bunch of different examples here in the white paper. Um, so go check out the white paper, guys. There's uh, McDonald's, Bank of America, Freeletics, Levi's, Samsung, um, got some some information about what Netflix is doing in there as far as practical applications of people actually using AI to to localize their their customer experiences but I don't want to just go through here and read the white paper I've got I've got questions for you Jonas so let's get into the the next section I want to talk about what are the success factors what are the criteria like when you set out to to work on a program with with a client who's um, that you're doing these services for, what are you tracking? What are you reporting? And what are the deliverables? Okay, yeah. So we have uh, maybe a somewhat wider set of services than your typical LSP in that we also provide design yeah. of AI products or platforms, and we do that the core AI piece as well. So it depends on that what part of the organization that we look at, but. We do call out in the white paper as well that it's extremely important to design these AI processes with humans at the center. So consider the human experience and don't let that be an afterthought. And that's probably something that resonates with anyone in the localization industry as well, where we often complain about localization just being something that you add at the end of a software development cycle and hope for the best, so I very little time to get it right. I think we have a, an opportunity to influence how AI is built and globalized by making sure that it uh, we bring that point home that you should design AI with humans at the center at uh, with a global perspective. So that would be the first point to consider when you think about uh, localizing AI. So we're, we're, that's kind of funny that we're talking about 
AI and we're also talking about humans, right? Because so wh- where's the cutoff? Will will AI ever be able to in this context uh, when it comes to localizing experiences for people, localizing customer experiences? Will AI ever be self-sufficient, or will there always be a, a human that's needed in there? And will we always need to design AI processes with humans in the center? Oh, that's a great I know that's a, that's a tricky question, that, right? right? Yeah, it's uh, obviously people will debate that for the next couple of decades, and I don't think that there will be a self-sufficient AI before then. Uh, we do believe that it's extremely important to have humans in the loop uh, to add uh, that human centricity and make sure that the experience is uh, lovable um, and and that it's just not something that you throw at the users and hope for the best. So it does need to be designed for humans and you need to have humans in the loop to provide uh, the right data for each culture and each uh, type of user. So moving on to the our next success criteria here is inclusive AI demands diverse data. And we, are, we already touched on this, like the importance of going out and diff- getting different diverse data. But, you know, what does that mean? What does that look like? So how does a company like Pactera Edge go out and make sure that the data sets that you're collecting are accurate or completely representing all of the different groups that you're, you're trying to represent? Right. So first, if you start with, uh, with the designing it for humans and the actual users at the center, then you have a good sense of who will be using this AI product eventually. And then you have to make sure that the data sets that you use to train that AI also corresponds to that intended user uh, group. Uh, and it could definitely go beyond your typical uh, persona that you might have in, in the origin market, if it's in the US or wherever it is. And for that, you need a data set that does not have bias. It should cover all ethnicities, gender, age groups, nationalities, and so on. Uh, and that should be tracked and, um, and and tested as well with metrics to make sure that you don't introduce bias at, uh, during that training step. And how would you go about doing that, um, about um, collecting or testing that? You say, you say that you're monitoring it and testing it for to make sure that it includes all of that. Is that just, does that go back to what we were talking about earlier with having a human at the center? That's where the human comes in to, to kind of sanity check all of that stuff? Right. Yes. Uh, and of course, you, you would need to use analytics and uh, technology and so on to do that as well. But essentially, yes, you need humans that, that um, represent all these different uh, uh, user groups and train the data with, with that uh, talent pool in the loop. And I think that's where uh, LSPs in general have a huge opportunity to, to support this major, major challenge. And it's just going to keep growing as a challenge as more and more companies start using AI and more and more companies start going outside that origin market as well. So they will need support from companies like LSPs that have a global talent pool. They have experience working with uh, a globally dispersed uh, group of translators uh, or whatever, what type of talent you need for these projects, right? So, yes, humans in the loop, but you also need technology to track the, this and then use analytics. Well, and that takes us, that segues us quite nicely into the, the third success criteria here from the paper, which is unlocking the power of partnerships. 
Now, I am I am a big believer in partnerships, um, as I think most of us in this industry are. Um, the language services industry, like we're built upon you know, supply chains upon supply chains. We're, we're an outsourcing industry. Um, enterprise global brands outsource to LSPs who outsource to other LSPs who outsource to translators and language professionals and all of these different things. So we're an industry that already has a, a certain level of tolerance for outsourcing processes, particularly processes that aren't the core functions of, of your enterprise. Um, how does this look different? Like what, what should, here, here's a question. Here's a question. What should a, a, a global enterprise that, that is looking for a partner to help them with, um, training their AIs for culturally relevant AI. What are some things that they should look for in a partner other than being called Pactera edge? <laughs> they need someone with, with, uh, with reach that covers okay. the, the user groups that they uh, expect to, to have for their product. Right. Um, and that can quickly get uh, pretty significant that reach. So you need someone with scalability uh, to, to cover all those different user groups and markets. Um, and you need someone with the right technology to manage that as well. Uh, otherwise, it's just gonna get too expensive if you do it uh, manually with uh, thousands or even tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of uh, data assets that you collect and curate. And a framework to manage um, accuracy and quality and so on, which is something that I think LSPs also have been doing for decades, right? We've been working at scale and managed quality and so on. So again, a little bit of a, um, an advantage for LSPs getting into this. Um, and you need someone that understands bias and, and can work towards reducing that bias, removing it completely. But having said that, I mean, we, we, we see so much movement in the AI space that there are companies using AI in all different types of industries at this point. So for us as well, for us, Pactera Edge, it's important to have the right set of partners because we can't cover all types of data in all possible domains, in all possible markets ourselves. So we also look for good partners to support us. So you're absolutely right, Takarin, that there's this huge ecosystems of vendors and suppliers and so on working together. Which is fine though. And I've always seen that and um, I've always seen that as kind of the role of the LSP, uh, of the language service provider. It's why, it's why we don't call LSPs translation companies because they do so much more than, than simple translation. Uh, essentially these translation agencies or language service providers, however we want to call them, end up kind of playing the role of, of matchmaker so to speak, you know, um, connecting, connecting people, connecting people with people, connecting businesses with solution providers. Um, so yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all that, that you're, um, you're building your own supply chain around the world for this as well. What, what are you looking for when, when you're building up, when you're trying to onboard people to work on these type of projects or onboarding companies? Um, you mentioned, you know, a, a I'm assuming you're looking for for folks in country, right? Or at least with a, a really good knowledge of the the culture and the local the local customs and all of that stuff. But are there any requirements other other than that for um, data tagging or data? It's it's a really wide set of requirements, to be honest, and, mm -hmm. and that's because of the need to eliminate bias and have the right quality. 
So if you think about where AI was like five years ago, it was sort of general use cases of just speech recognition in any domain and it didn't work that well, but it was basically training the foundation of the, in this case, speech recognition that we have today. And today we're seeing more and more niche use cases where it's speech recognition for healthcare or it's speech recognition for a retail environment and so on. And for those cases, you need experts, talents that can handle that. So obviously in the case of healthcare, you need people that can collect or curate data that is pretty hard for a normal translator to, to deal with unless you're a health life sciences related translator. So we're looking for experts that have those uh, niche skills mm -hmm. that are very tailored to specific use cases on our uh, with our clients as well. And, and are they hard to find? Because this is a new thing, right? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's not a new, new thing, right? But uh, the fields of AI, machine learning, um, data annotation, all of this, it's not, it's not something that the world has been doing for 20 years. So it's an evolving field. Um, so is it challenging to find those? Is it easier to, to find organizations out there that are already doing this? Or is it easier to train people up internally? Uh, I would say that uh, the recruiters, the vendor managers, and the resource managers at Bacteria Edge and any company like us are the unsung heroes Ven of the industry. Vendor like, managers here, here. get a lot of attention. Yeah, here, here. Vendor managers, doing... if any vendor managers in the audience, like pat yourself on the back because we always want to talk about project management. Uh, project management are the freaking rock stars, supposedly, of this industry, which is fine. I'm an ex-project manager. But, yeah, vendor managements are the backbone. Right. Or For if, sure. if yep. project managers are the hands and feet, then vendor managers are surely the backbone of our industry. Definitely. And you need even more resources, talent for uh, for doing AI localization. Right. So because you need all these niche types of talent and you need even more people, you need more people than you do for translation. So in translation, even at scale, right, we were talking about working with tens of thousands of translators. But with this, we talk about do, working with hundreds of thousands of talents and wow. or even in the millions in some cases, right? When you look at the biggest engagement. Yeah, so I'm smiling because I'm remembering, uh, it was a while back, but I'm remembering you, I think it was you at Pactera, you had sent something to, to us here at Nimsy. I'm like, hey, can you help us with this? We're like, nope, no, uh-uh, not signing up for that. That that looks, yeah. that's not up our alley. Because it was a matter of just like, not only are you going out there and, you know, training engines, tag, you know, providing metadata, tagging images. I think this was for an image project that I'm thinking of. But you have to come up with those images to tag, Right. Like it's it's not like if, if Google or Facebook or somebody says, hey, Pactera, can you um, do all of this um, AI training? And I'm sorry, guys, like I, I know I sound like an idiot. Like I don't even know the terminology uh, to talk to talk about AI. That's why I've got Jonas here. But um, half the battle or most of the battle I would be, um, I would assume, is just finding the resources and the assets to use while training. Uh, how do you go about that? It, it's the same challenge, really, finding the people yeah. uh, and being creative about how you collect that data. And of course, there are a lot of considerations around confidentiality and security and uh, privacy and so on that you need to take into account as well. And there are 
considerations uh, on, on different uh, regulations and so on in different markets as well. So that's that's a pretty big uh, threshold to getting into that part of the business uh, to do data collection and so on. So we do have quite a bit of that, but in, in many cases also working with some of those bigger companies that you mentioned, they, they do have data um, that in many cases they can't use because they their users, they can't post that, they can't use that unless the people have signed off for that explicitly. So it's very important that we can provide a data collection service with our resources and pay people for for taking pictures or whatever it is, right? And that's and that to me is kind of funny because you read the headlines and it's, oh my gosh, Facebook is stealing your data. Like Facebook is using all of your photos um, or, you know, fill in the blank with another company, not just Facebook. And it's like, well, yeah, they might be, but they're not for this, right? Because they're actually going out there and they're sourcing actual image work. And I'm not going to go into like making you talk about what Facebook does or Google does or anything of that. Um, we're not we're not about breaking any NDAs or anything while, while live. Assuming that you actually work with those companies, I'm not confirming or denying I, that <laughs> either. But let's uh, – you mentioned earlier, we, we talked about Facebook, Google, Netflix, and other companies a little bit, but you, you talked about a few more examples when we were getting ready in the in the green room um, of different types of AI and how it should be adapted or localized. Is there any like favorite projects or favorite examples that you'd like to go over with us today? I don't know. We, we, we talked a bit about... Uh memorable experiences right and that was one of the first concepts of the white paper too and i don't know if i have a short memory but when we talked about that i, not, I remember a couple of things that just happened uh, over the last week uh, that really is quite stunning to me when you think about it in how ai can impact and help people uh so i had this um uh, call uh, with someone regarding ai and healthcare and it was it was a good conversation it was quite enjoyable about an hour uh, and it wasn't until the end of, of that call that the other party mentioned that she was deaf, that she actually hadn't heard me speak at all during that hour, but she had used a voice-to-text tool throughout the call to understand me. So that's a truly impactful way of using AI, and it really blew me away. And I think that's really an experience worth remembering. Yeah, we, so that's one of how we, AI can really help us. We, we, we could have used that at the beginning of the stream before I remembered to unmute you. That could have come in handy, right? But I mean, but that's, that's a good point, you know, because we're talking about memorable experiences. And I mean, shoot, I've been talking about memorable experiences with you for the last couple of years. That's, that's, that's what Pactera is all about over there. But perhaps for our audience, like, what is a memorable experience? Like, what does that mean when we're talking about memorable experience? It's not just a buzzword. It's not just a marketing term. I, I know you guys really feel strongly about this. So uh, tell us, what does that mean to you? Yeah, to me, it is uh, experiences that feel natural, personal, made for you, rather than some generic experience right. that feels planned. Uh, and that needs to happen on a global level when you talk about AI localization. So it really makes it more difficult. But I think that example that I mentioned is, is, is a good example of that. It felt completely natural. I didn't even realize that until she told me mm. uh, at the end of that call, right? So it was a completely natural experience of actually talking to someone who couldn't hear me. And, and we were able to have a, a conversation. Uh, so that, that, to me, is a very good example of something worth 
uh, remembering. Yeah, and, and to me, it's um, it's very much in line with what we do in our industry, anyways. Um, we say all the time that localization or translation is only news when it goes wrong or when something bad happens. And, you know, then when the translation leads to, I don't know, an ambulance crashing or something, then it's in, in the news. But we can do our jobs perfectly in the localization industry for years and never get any credit for it because the success criteria of a well-localized product is that nobody knows that it's even localized. And I imagine it's, it's somewhat the same for artificial intelligence. It's like one of the success criteria, or at least one of the ideas that you're striving for is that the, the, the customer experience is such that they don't even realize a computer is involved, right? It's just... For sure, yeah. It, it just and it was natural. one of those things that came up in the white paper too, right? And some of the data that I think it was like two-thirds of people don't even realize that they're, they're using products where AI is part of it, right? And that's great. It means that it's it's seamless, it's human centric, and it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of lots of pretty graphs over here in the white paper. Go grab that white paper. I am going to take that white paper back down after this event. So go download it. Well, I'll give you guys a couple hours after the event. But today, I'm going to take that white paper down because then, if you want to download it, you got to go fill out a contact form. Sorry, I, I always thought I thought that was as I was testing the contact form or for the the download. I was like. We're talking about lovable customer experiences, and we're making people fill out a download form. There's something wrong with this. <laughs> people hate download forms, <laughs> but that's that's okay. Um, business case. I want to talk about the business case for this. So I'm a globalization director. I'm at, I don't know, Uber or Spotify. Let's use some of the examples earlier. I'm at Spotify, or I'm at Pinterest, or I'm at you know I'm at I'm at a global global organization, we want to take our customer experience to the next level, start taking a look at what are my customers, um, how are, uh, what is my customer experience actually in market, in different markets, not just at home. Um, how do I do that? Like, how do, how do I, first of all, where do I start? How do I build a business case for it? Is there any information or tips that you can give us today for, for people that are listening to this on, you know, how, how to get their bosses excited about doing an initiative like this where to start well i think that there's again there's some good data in the white paper i think it was some we referenced the mckinsey report i think or maybe i saw that somewhere else but uh mckinsey saying that uh, ai has the potential to boost the global gdp by 26 percent by 2030 and in order to harness that and enable that potential ai definitely needs to be adapted to to local audiences not only to to one market um so that that's one aspect but i think it's really about opening it up to to the world right and and enabling experiences and so on so lots of good data again in the white paper on that but i would start by um, highlighting uh, uh the accessibility aspect would be important so that's that's something else that that is important there and just generally opening it up to to the future basically Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, th- I think that that makes a lot of sense. Start with the accessibility. This is something that um, is it's top of mind, or it's getting to be more top of mind from the the companies that I'm talking to. Is people? I mean, we've we've had accessibility standards and guidelines for a long time, but um, they're under the microscope now. People are talking about, you know, how can we be even more accessible? 
Um, how can we be more inclusive is, is another word. Um, these concepts yeah. of accessibility, inclusion, um, diversity, um, all, all of these things are kind of merging together. And I think it's top of mind at the, um, and of course, depending on, on, on your uh, context, you can easily claim that it's a revenue generator as well, right? So if you look at the product recommendation... Oh, now we're getting into it. This is what I wanted to hear. All right. <laughs> yeah, we, we consider that a bit with the product recommendation, right? If you um, localize your product recommendations to each market, then obviously it, it will generate more uh, revenue because I wouldn't... Like I, I was looking at Stitch Fix is one of those... Uh, services that come up on, on my Instagram all the time, they, they recommend different combinations of uh, wardrobes, clothes, basically, for uh, based with using an AI uh, solution. But if they would do that with the German market that mine for me or for someone in the US, it, they, they wouldn't buy it, probably. So that definitely needs to be localized, and it does become a revenue generator. Makes sense. Well, I, I've been watching the chat here, guys, while, um, while Jonas was talking. Um, any questions? Speak now or forever hold your peace. I've already got my engagement out of you guys, making you comment whether whether you can hear us or not. But um, we will go over here to chat and check out any things other than just, yes, 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 we can hear you, Jonas. <laughs> Which is fine. That's part, of, that's part of the user experience here. It's part of the customer, the, the CX. But um, while we're doing that, let's um, we're coming up with about 10 minutes to the hour. Um, I don't mind going a little bit late. We got started a little bit late. But let's go over into a section that I haven't done for a little while called Tux Takeaways. And here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review my top three takeaways. I've been taking notes while, while we were talking. And you, um, you tell me if, if they're accurate. Jonas. So takeaway number one from Tux takeaway number one, vendor management is crucial to staffing out this project. So this is one of the things that I didn't, perhaps I, I realized going into this, but it didn't really hit home. It's just the sheer number of, of bodies that are required to, to work on a large scale AI enablement project. Um, Jonas, you mentioned hundreds or thousands of people for a localization project. We're talking about tens of thousands of people for this. Hundreds of like how how big are we talking here? Yeah, that that's the the scale that we're looking at. And I can I mean I can look at the, our internal shared services team with uh, with recruiters and resource managers and coordinators and so on for. Uh, to your point about data collection projects being difficult, right? Those are the projects where we have probably 10 times as many hours on vendor management and resource management than your typical translation or localization project. So that's the order of magnitude. So my, like my takeaway, if I can change my takeaway is don't try to do this in house guys. Um, and that's, that's why we were talking about earlier, find the right partner find the right partner for this. So I'm amending Tux takeaway number one to find the right partner because the vendor management is in depth. And I also see Elia. Elia, um, thank you for your comment here, your question. Let's let's get to this, Jonas. 
Elia Schifrin says, as cultural trends change and evolve all the time and AI models deteriorate with use of get old with, or with use and quote unquote get old, would this mean that personalized culturalized AI for each locale need to be continuously evaluated in terms um, it's f- for its fit even after the initial deployment? If so, what would localized A power solutions maintenance service looks like? Good. God, Ilya, you're making me look bad. You want to host this show? That's a really good question. So um, essentially, if I can paraphrase here, is once once a model is deployed and put into service, what is the maintenance on that? What is the maintenance to update that? Yeah. And if we accept the statement that uh, these AI models need to be culturalized or localized, we also have to accept the fact that they need to be updated because culture changes, right? So yes, there is definitely a maintenance component of this where you would need to continue to feed uh, the engines with new data, uh, up-to-date data, um, and and keep doing that over time. Uh, Obviously, there will be less. uh, And and there's a lot of research going into how you can optimize that so it, you need less data to keep them fresh but definitely um, there is a, an ongoing need for fresh data and you can use again you can use ai to support that by using ai tools and so on within your processes to automate part of that you can have uh, active learning in if it's an annotation project project so you don't have to annotate things twice sort of the same concept as machine translation with post-editing. You just use the AI to annotate it, but then you tweak it so it's up-to-date based on how the culture has changed. Thank thank you, Jonas, and thank you, Elia. That was an excellent question. Uh, If anyone has any more questions, do it right now, and I might be able to get to it, but I I think we're we're running out of time here because we still got two more takeaways from Tuck here. Tuck's takeaway number two, what have I got? I've got, there needs to be a human at the center still. Okay, so this one, this one we're clear on. I think I, I double dipped here with Tuck's takeaway number one. But just because we're talking about AI doesn't mean that there's not still a very strong need for humans. There, there needs to be the, the experts um, who know how to, to what's needed, know how to move the chess pieces, know how to align all of the other resources. And then there needs to be the, the individuals, the tens of thousands of individuals that are actually doing the work. So just because we're talking about AI, um, doesn't mean that we're only talking about AI or any more than just when we're just because we're talking about translation memories or machine translation doesn't mean we're only talking about machine translation. Let's go right into Tuck's takeaway number three, uh, which what have I got here? It's about opening up to the world and enabling experiences. Start by highlighting accessibility. However, accessibility is certainly a revenue generator as well, which we shouldn't forget. So this, I think I wrote down in the context of we're talking about what do what does the C-suite want to know? Like, how do I how do I build a business case? How do I build a plan or a strategy that's around um, using artificial intelligence to um, better localize my, my customer experiences across the globe? And I think this is really in, insightful. Um, don't focus on the localization aspect on it so much focus on enabling experiences, making sure that regardless of language, regardless of locale, regardless of culture, your customers, your, your fans at your brand are having the same brand experience um, or at least 
perhaps not the same brand experience, but an equivalent brand experience that is equivalent based upon their culture. Another great way of, of bringing this up with senior leadership is make sure to highlight the accessibility um, components of it because there is a big accessibility component to um, to hyper-localization or culturalization of, of experiences. And, of course, anytime that you're making your product or services more accessible – you're simultaneously making it possible for more and more people to to purchase those those services and and products, which is going to increase your ROI. Did did I get all of that, Jonas? Any rebuttals or anything on that? No, that was great. I think that there is both uh, obviously a financial component to this, but there is also that accessibility and actually doing something that is good. You're essentially democratizing AI, right? Making it accessible for everyone. I like that. Democratizing uh, AI. I like that. Yeah. And we have a last comment that I'm going to bring up here is from Khadijah. Uh, Khadijah, I've known you for 10 years, and I still second-guess myself every time I try to pronounce your name. I'm sorry. Um, Pactera Edge vendor engagement is robust, comprehensive, and customizable to align with our partner's criteria and our goal to achieve and exceed expectations, if I might add. You may. You may add that. So that's your plug. Yeah, so you don't have to sit here and plug your company because you got you got plants in the audience who, <laughs> who you've obviously planted there to, to plug your company, and, and and I will too. Like like I, I mentioned earlier, we we here at Nimsy, we've been, well, I don't know the status of anything that I can say live on air, but um, we're certainly familiar with the the cool things that they're doing there, over there at Pactera. I've I, I love working at Nimsy because I get to engage with the uh, Pactera, the really smart people that they're working with over there, and all the fun stuff that they're doing on. Which in in a previous life, Pactera, you guys were always the enemy. You guys were always my competition because I was working at Moravia, and we were both kind of competing in that Microsoft space. So it, it's cool to be on the same side, Jonas. I agree. Khadija says Appreciate 11 it. years, 11 years. She says, you know, Khadija, you're the first person to ever introduce me to Renato, my business partner, my co-founder. And I, I think I've, I've told you this before, but if it wasn't for you, eh, maybe Nimsy wouldn't ex exist. So thank you, Miss Connors. With that, Jonas, any, any final thoughts, um, corrections, comments, questions before we, before I play us out here today? No, this has been great. Thanks a lot, Tucker. Appreciate it. Yeah, th thank you very much, Jonas. Um, it's It's been a long time coming here, and um, I'm, I'm glad that our teams could work together and collaborate on, on this research project. Once again, everybody, that um, this white paper is available at nimsy.com. All you got to do is go to the research tab. Sorry for the scrolling. Go to the research tab. It's going to be the first one there right now. It's called AI Localization, Creating Lovable Experiences in Every Market. There is also a PDF download for you if you want to download that and share it with everybody that you think could get value out of it. And with that, ladies, gentlemen, chat, we are out of time today. Thank you for everybody who's participating. If, if you've enjoyed this Nimsy Live experience, then make sure to join us next time on... Actually, there is no next time. I don't have anything in the calendar coming up, which means, well, maybe I can take a break. But I know there's a lot of people that I have... Um, have requests into me. I've got requests out to them, guests that are going to be on the show. So make sure that you're subscribing to Nimsy Insights so that you get notified 
when we um, when we post new events and with new ghosts that are with new guests that are going to be coming on. Uh, I appreciate our guests, uh, Mr. Ryberg. I appreciate all my colleagues here at NMC Insights that worked with Jonas's team to make this paper a reality. I appreciate all of you guys out there in the industry that respond to NMC Insights uh, research requests, participate in industry surveys. And last but not least, I appreciate you, chat, the audience who are joining us live today. We've had about 40 folks joining us live, even though we got off to a rough start. You've stayed with us this whole time. We always appreciate that high retention rate. Um, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, and have a great day. <laughs>